There is uh, a wonderful exhibit going on right now at our fabulous uh, art museum just down the road here. Many of you have been there, I'm sure, but it's called Rembrandt and the Face of Jesus. Turns out that Rembrandt uh, made a major breakthrough in how Jesus was conveyed through art, and he actually found some of his Jewish neighbors to come and be uh, his uh, model as he painted Jesus instead of kind of the um, almost otherworldly image that was that was very typical. So it's quite a worthwhile exhibit uh, to go to, as uh, I'm sure many of you have already discovered. I, I was particularly looking forward to going because I noticed that they had borrowed from the Louvre a portrait, Rembrandt's painting, of this incident of the two on the road to Emmaus, and I was anxious to see it. And then to read the descriptions and discover that uh, Rembrandt considered this story that Arlene just read to you as his favorite story in all of the Bible. And I thought, wow, I'm in good company. <laughs> because I, I would almost say the same thing for myself. I love, I love this particular account. And uh, so that's why I want you to look at it with me. And particularly notice, as we get started, <clears throat> because you'll see why I chose this <clears throat> for our message this morning. Verse 25 of the text. Let me just read this brief section once again. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And that really is our uh, intention and purpose through this fall season and particularly and perhaps even extending through the whole year to open the Bible, but not just to, for the sake of looking at the Bible, but in fact to see that all of it in one way or another points the way to Jesus. Because really while this is a, a wonderful statement that I want us to be thinking about together, the high point of this account is verse 32. And I hope you picked that up. They said to each other, this is after all this has taken place, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us and opened to us the scripture? So the goal that I would have for all of us is not simply open your Bibles. But the real goal here is the burning of the heart. The sense that I am in the very presence of Jesus. And it just sort of flows over. Well, the beautiful thing about this is it comes through the opening of the Scriptures. So that's terribly important. But I just want to 
kind of say that that's not the goal, the opening of the Bible. That's the means. The goal is the burning of the heart because we're in the presence of Jesus. Well, before we actually kind of take that apart a little bit, let me, let me make sure and tell the story again. I, I read a statement somewhere, I think it's one of the World Harvest Mission literature. It says, if you want to hear the truth, tell it. If you want to remember the truth, tell a story. And it's no accident that most of the Bible is story. I don't mean fiction. I mean, it's, it's narrative. It's telling a story. And we remember those, even when we forget perhaps uh, some of the realities or the, or the propositions that are behind it. So here we have uh, an account of the day of resurrection, right? Early in chapter 24, Jesus has, uh, the, the t- tomb is empty, the, the Christ is risen from the dead. Uh, each one of the Gospels tells a little different account. And here we are now toward the end of the day, and uh, two, two disciples are on their way, perhaps going home, but nevertheless to this village called Emmaus. One of them is identified by name as Cleophas, or Cleophas, could be pronounced in different ways. Um, in my mind, and this is what I'm trying to get you to do to begin to sort of visualize what's going on, so I want to tell you what's at least in my mind, is that in in the Gospel of John, there's a a woman named Mary who's at the cross, and she's identified as Mary, the wife of Cleophas. So while, with all due respects to Rembrandt himself, who showed two men, disciples, sitting at the table, breaking bread with Jesus, in my mind, I see a husband and wife, Mary and Cleophas, walking together, totally confused, after a bewildering day. This husband and wife have sought to serve Jesus together, and as you read from the account, and you hopefully will reread it, they were deeply disheartened. The whole idea of the resurrection still hadn't really penetrated their consciousness, had it. And the Lord Jesus walks up to them, or kind of, begins to associate with them as they're walking along the road. And it says they were kept from recognizing him, whether that was sort of a supernatural covering uh, or or simply that he looked different after the resurrection. Remember, Mary Magdalene did not recognize him at first. Um, Or whether they just didn't expect to see him and so they, they didn't recognize him. We've all had that experience. We don't know. But nevertheless... They didn't know who this man was as they walked along. And he said, why are you so discouraged? And they said, wait a minute, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened? And uh, they described to him what's going on. That this man they'd hoped was in fact the promised redeemer had been crucified by the leaders of the church. And then to make that matters even worse, uh, his body had disappeared. And they'd said that he'd risen from the dead, but they just didn't know what that meant. So they continue walking together, and uh, the text tells us Jesus gently, I'm sure, but nevertheless rebuked them and said, Oh, 
foolish people, don't you read your Bibles? Wasn't that the essence of it? Don't you read your Bibles? Don't you realize that all these things were in fact prophesied? And then he said, it says, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, that's really what we call the Old Testaments, uh, he showed that in all of the scriptures, how they point to him. Now, as I've reflected on that, I have asked myself, what kind of Bible study must that have been? Honestly, to be walking with this stranger and just wisdom pours forth from his lips with the beauty and the power that you just have never heard before, nothing like the rabbis, nothing like sort of the didactic kind of teaching. But to hear, to hear the whole of the teaching of Scripture is virtually poetry from the lips of Jesus. What an experience. What an experience that must have been, I can't imagine. And I have to think those people just didn't want it to stop. Maybe at first they started asking them questions and arguing, but the more they listened, the more they fell silent and just walked together. As Jesus opened to them the Bible and pointed to himself. Well, the evening was uh, coming on, as again we read. They came to a place, a parting point, and they insisted Jesus stay with them. And uh, he did. And they came in and they, they sat down together for a meal. And as you can well imagine, by this time, they automatically say to him, Sir, would you, would you offer the blessing? And if it's like any of us, they sort of bowed their heads. And it's my, again, this is my reconstruction of it, but but I think as they bowed their head, they heard Jesus say, Father. And they knew who it was. What would it be like to hear Jesus speak and say, Father? And I have to think they peeked. They lifted up their eyes. It's him. And he was gone. And so they say to themselves, I love this, were not our hearts burning within us as he talked to us and opened to us the scriptures? Now that's where the reading ended. If you read just the next few verses, you realize they couldn't keep it to themselves and they jumped up. And I don't know how far they'd come out of Jerusalem, but they ran back and they found the 11 and they said, it's true, it's true. He really has risen from the dead. This good news just sort of boiled over and they couldn't keep it to themselves. And in one sense of the word, obviously this was a unique moment. Nevertheless, let's look at it again. How was it that they knew the burning of the heart? 
in the opening of the scriptures, right? And friends, I want to say to you and to me this morning, this is not an alien experience that just happened to these blessed disciples so many years ago. It indeed can be and should be our privilege on an ongoing basis. Because we have that same Bible, even more of it. Because we have the part called the New Testament as well. I have to tell you, for me personally, above all else, this is why I love preaching. Because it it, it has indeed been my experience, and I can honestly say hundreds of times, to open the Bible. Not because I flip through and find a verse that touches my heart, but just because I've sort of pre-assigned myself This is the passage we're going to preach from. And many times I'll come to it and say, uh, I wonder what in the world I'm going to say about this. But then I I stop and study. I've, I've tried to discipline myself to say, before I think about what I'm going to preach on, I want to let God begin to speak to my own heart. And uh, I have the privilege of teaching young men how to preach from time to time. I did it as as soon ago as late, early ago as last fall excuse me, last spring, and this is the paradigm that I give them, this two on the road to Emmaus. And I will say, friends, uh, one of the exercises, in fact, is to, to say to them, I want you to, to, to come to class and tell the rest of the class a passage of Scripture through which God really spoke into your life and you felt this burning of the heart. And they do it. And the story, it can be from the Psalms, it can be from Old Testament stories, it can be from New Testament stories. But, but God indeed does, he's alive, he speaks. But in a particular way, he speaks through this book. And I've said to people over and over, I said, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't know what it is to experience the burning of the heart from an open Bible, you should not be going into ministry. Because the heart of ministry is to, is to hopefully, and I hope that's happened even this morning, as I've shared with you something of the joy of, of, of this story for me, that you yourselves have said, oh yes, I can see it in the eyes of so many of you. That's what I want. Not just to know the Bible, but I want to know that sense of the presence of Jesus that's why I love the fact that we end up our, our, our service every week with communion. We're here to meet Jesus, and we will get to Jesus by opening the Bible. Which, by the way, is why I sort of am a pest. I know it. I say, please open your Bible. Look with me. And I'll give you the page number, because I really do want you to sit with an open Bible. Or, you, you, you know, it's written out in the text, or... Or wherever, but but I want you to be interacting not with me, but with this with the text. And if I've done my job, is to take you to the text, to the scripture, through which God, not necessarily always or in the same way, but can indeed speak to our hearts. So let's go back and look. Just read again that passage that I read earlier, because this is kind of the heart and soul of what we want to make sure we're about. We can't create the burning of the heart. 
That's, that's a work of God. That's supernatural. But we can't open our Bibles. And that's what we need to be about. And, and to read our Bibles in the way in which Jesus intended them to be read. And here it is, verse 25 again. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, that is the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? It's all been there. It's all there. And, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. And in the Hebrew Bible, I should say, the the prophets were considered both what we call the history, David and Saul and Solomon and so forth. That was called the prophets, as well as prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In fact, this Bible is is one continuous story. And and, and we hope you, you get that this fall. I I noticed on the website um, in, in introducing the home groups of the fall, it said creation to new creation. That's it. That's Genesis to Revelation. And really it all hangs together. Last week, Dwayne introduced to you the, this basic outline, which you'll hear over and over. Let me repeat it. Because, because you really need to get this into your, into your soul. The Bible begins with creation. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God created this world and put man on it and put man in a perfect uh, setting, called it Eden. And he blew it. We need to review all those because point two of the Bible is the fall, the entrance of sin into the world and all the devastating accounts. But even there in the account of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, God already promises that there will come a day when the seed of the woman, another man would come and stomp his head on the serpent. Stomp his foot, I'm sorry, and crush the serpent. So yes, the serpent will do a lot of harm, but in the end he will be crushed by the heel of this one who is coming. And so lo and behold, you turn all the way to the last chapter of the Bible, and what do you find? The tree of life. Remember? We're going to look at the story again, and it'll be in your home groups as well, but... But why were Adam and Eve thrown out of the garden? Because they should no longer be eating of the tree of life. Nevertheless, in the new heavens and the new earth, what's the most prominent feature in addition to the very presence of God himself? The tree of life. And that's the story of of the gospel, really. God giving back to us what we've blown and thrown away. And it unfolds step by step, story by story by story. So within the Bible, the big story, creation, fall, 
Redemption is the word we use for God restoring what, what we threw away. And then finally, consummation. It all comes finally to a great conclusion. The earth will be covered with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This, this expectation is there over and over and over. But the key to it all, the key to it all is Jesus himself and the coming of Jesus. And, as, and that's precisely what our Lord was trying to tell these folks in this passage and what we need to make sure we get. And you will be given it on whether it's Sunday mornings when we're here in sermons or in the home groups. Hopefully they're going to reinforce each other. There's a portion in John chapter 5, which I remember hearing quoted as, Search the scriptures. Kind of an exhortation to search the scriptures. Well, again, you don't need Greek or Hebrew or anything else. Just go read the text which I hope you'll become disciplined to do, because what it says is Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, with the scholars, and he says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. That is that you will gain eternal life because you know your Bible, because you can quote the Bible. Not so, he says. In fact, the scriptures are what point to me. And you won't come to me to have eternal life. They miss the whole point of the Bible. It's to point us to Jesus. And I hope you get that. So as a practical matter, as I said, the burning of the heart is, is, is that presence of the Holy Spirit that comes to us. That's nothing we can control. But we can learn how to be more disciplined in opening our Bible and reading it correctly. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. I was thinking about these two on the road to Emmaus. They grew up in Jewish families, no doubt. They'd gone to synagogue. They'd talked about the the great stories of of God's deliverance around around the dinner table. This is something they knew, Moses and... uh, the, the story of the judges and Joshua and David and Solomon, all of that. In fact, the matter is not everybody does know that. I've mentioned to you before, I'm one of them. Uh, and one of my prayers all through my ministry has been that I'd never forget what it was like to come to church when I had not a clue what they were talking about. Nice people, I liked the singing. But beyond that, I didn't know what was going on, really. And uh, I may be talking to some of you right now that are just like me. So, uh, and I honestly, it was a discovery for me to find out there were two parts in this book. One part called the Old Testament and the other part called the New Testament. I knew there was something called the Bible. My folks had one, actually, up on the top shelf of their bookcase, you know. Uh, that's about how much uh, Bible there was in our family. And I'm not saying that as a, you know, that was just, we're, we were a normal American family, educated, good people. Just religion just was never even discussed, and the Bible certainly was never opened. 
And I pray that liberty is a place where those of you who are like me will feel welcome. Let me tell you the story of Alice. I'm not sure that's her name. I, it's not that I changed her name to protect her. I don't honestly remember. But this, this, happened, this happened a few years ago when I was pastor of a, of a church called New Life Northeast, which is here in Northeast Philly. And uh, our associate pastor had been at a community event and uh, just didn't get to know folks in the community. And he saw a young woman off to the side all by herself, not talking to anybody, obviously looking rather downtrodden. And so he went over and introduced himself to her. And as soon as he said he was a pastor of a church in Mayfair, this was, up in that part of town, she got very nervous. And she said, church? Ooh, I never go to church. And I can't remember what the circumstance was that caused her to... What did we do? Steve's going to fix whatever that buzz is. We'll just keep going. So Alice uh, made it clear that she was not interested in church... And uh, Bob, our associate, said, well, that's okay. But, you know, if you're lonely and you want to talk to people, uh, there's folks in our office and you're welcome to come around and help stuff bulletins or whatever, whatever else, uh, stuff envelopes or whatever it is we have going on. And uh, actually she said, well, maybe I'll do that. And sure enough, Alice showed up. And she was welcomed and, and she just kind of, at first was very, very cautious, and I remember actually stepping into the office at one point, and they introduced me to Alice, and all of a sudden she got very intimidated because here was the, here was the pastor. But once I left, she relaxed, and she was okay. But actually she kept coming for weeks and weeks and got more and more relaxed, and I, I remember one week at the, our secretary said to me, Steve, you know, you're always talking about how coming to faith is so much of a process, just step by step, almost like a pregnancy. She says, I understand what you meant because I'm seeing that happen. Every week Alice comes and she asks more questions and she feels more relaxed and, and she's actually curious about God. She wants to know more about Jesus. She just hasn't had this background at all. And I'm not sure how long this went on. She still didn't show up in church. But finally she got to, the, to the, make the big step. She was going to go to a Bible study. One of our young adults had, they had a very nice Bible study going, and I guess they dropped by the office and invited her, and she said, well, you know what, I might try that. And she actually went out and bought a Bible. And she went to the Bible study, and as I understand it, they were very welcoming. They were really glad to have her. And they went out of her way to welcome her. But then the Bible study started. And the leader of the group said, okay, everybody, turn to Isaiah. Everybody did it. But Alice, she had not a clue. And because everybody seemed to know so much about what they were doing, she didn't feel it proper to stop and look it up on the table of contents And Alice came back 
to the office the next week and said, well, I guess Bible study is not for me. So those of you leading the studies in the home group, will you remember Alice? It doesn't take a lot of time to just be sensitive to the fact that all these accomplished people coming to your home group who can articulate things so well may in fact be terrified when it comes to opening a Bible. And folks, we want Alice's coming, don't we? To our church, to our home groups. Please remember this. And, and there's also a message for those of you who are Alice's. Will you have the guts... And I know it takes that to go to your home groups and say, folks, I'm sorry, but I don't know my way around the Bible. So part of what I hope will happen this fall is not just that you're going to flip open your Bible and look at passages, but that you're going to learn together. That you're going to learn together just to get acquainted with the book. Because for some of you, this is what this fall represents, a chance to get started. And you may have been in church all your life, and I know very well it's possible to go to church and never having, have really opened the Bible. Well, we want to give you that opportunity. We want that to be happening here on Sunday mornings as we, as we uh, preach. We want you to begin to, to be open to, to personally reading the Bible. For some of you... That may mean, for the first time, reading the Bible the way Jesus wants you to read the Bible. That is, not just a, a series of interesting stories and a lot of stuff in between, and some of it boring and some of it not so boring, and a lot of sex thrown in and nasty stuff and murders and um, so forth, and it's all there. But it's all actually part of a... They're pieces of a puzzle, and the puzzle is... When you put it all together, it looks like Jesus. So whether you're leading others, or whether you're an Alice, or whether you're somewhere in between, uh, I just pray that we will, together, as a church family, commit ourselves through the fall and beyond, but through the fall in a particular way, to open the scriptures. And may God in his goodness meet with us in the open scripture in a way that we know the burning of the heart. That's where, it, that's where we pray it goes. But for our part, we need to be those who open our Bibles Because we want to meet Jesus. Which is why I love how we're going to end our service now. Again, 
opening your Bible can just be a mechanical process, just like communion can be just a mechanical process. We do it every week. But in fact, this is a gift to us from our Lord Jesus himself to remind us over and over and over and over. This is why we're here, to meet Jesus, to know the burning of the heart, to go out and spread the good news. Let's pray.